Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Now, it's great to see you guys. Um, when we talk about Convoy of Hope, and we talk about this, and I want to talk a little bit about Convoy of Hope, but today's message is not really about Convoy, it's about compassion. But when we think about Convoy of Hope, and one of the things that's really cool is being able to be there, to be able to go to, 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 to Haiti and to see the feeding and all the stuff that goes on. Convoy of Hope is, is an organization that we just believe in, that we've partnered with, that we just encourage you to, to give toward them because we know where it's going, we know how it's going to use, be used. In fact, Later on, when we take the offering, um, there's envelopes in the back of the seats in front of you that you can put, the, you can put your offering in, the one-day offering. Um, and on that offering envelope, it says $120 can feed a child for an entire year. Like, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and that's what, when we were in Haiti, we get to see that, we get to feed. Like, for us, to, to be there and to be able to feed the children um, was just like a cool, cool experience. To recognize that, like, we've given, but now we're there and we get to, to see the hope in kids' eyes and their life and the joy that comes through those moments. And then you did see some kids, you know, that would eat, like, whatever other kids left. And they were like, you need that? <laughs> Send it here. Uh, we're going to, you know, we'll take care of it. So, but I want you to know, th- this morning, I don't want anyone to feel compelled to give. I don't want this to be an emotional response. I don't want this to be, because we've been talking about it for weeks, and if this is your first time here, don't feel any pressure whatsoever. We want you to, to think that through. We want you to, to know that you're to give what God puts on your heart, what God leads you to. One day is just kind of an idea to say, hey, if you can give a day's wage to change kids' lives around the world, that'd be really cool. And I realize some can't do it. We just want everybody to give something. Um, there are actually people who mail in, uh, along with their tithe, every month offering for this day. So, uh, you know, they just like send in a specific amount. They divide it up. They know what it is. They divide it up. They send it in every month so that when it comes to one day, they're already done. They, they know. They've, they've already given. So it's just cool. And so this morning... We're going to take a look at a familiar story from the scriptures. One that you know well, probably, and, and others of you, maybe you don't, but it's okay. And we're going to talk about this, kind of finish up this idea of thanksgiving. Because really, our giving needs to be out of heart of thanks. A thank you to God for what he's done, for the things that he's accomplished. I love this time of year, by the way. I love thanksgiving. You would think, you know... <laughs> Why do I love Thanksgiving? Well, I love to eat. <laughs> so I like pie and, and things like that. So I, I love this time of year. No, I love this time of year because it's just focused on giving thanks. It's just focused, you know, they've really not been able to, other than grocery stores, commercialize Thanksgiving too much. And I know as soon as Thanksgiving hits, though, or even before, Christmas is already kind of infringed on it. But, but I love Thanksgiving because it gives us a moment where we can take time, thank God for what he's done for us. Be, be grateful for all the things that, that God has done in our lives for us and, 
his blessings. First off, if we just have to talk about Jesus, just Jesus alone, just thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me. And thankful that I get to live where I live in the United States, in Kansas, in Topeka. Um, I love this place. I love Topeka. I love this state and this country. I, you know, it's a privilege to be able to worship in freedom. Um, you know, when you, when you watch news events over this last week, and I realized they, they were not Christians, but when a mosque gets bombed, okay, that, that's not good. Okay, because it's just not right. And so we, we get to live in a place of freedom, and we should be thankful for that. But in the midst of that thankfulness, in, in the midst of all the things that God has blessed us with, it ought to drive us to compassion and kindness that we would deliver on what God is doing and what he has done for us. So, okay, we'll, we'll, go, to the, we'll go to the story. Uh, Luke chapter 10, um, and we'll read it. So one day, an expert in religious law, verse 25, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, this guy comes to Jesus to kind of test him, right? And Jesus ends up testing him. That's, you know, like, it's good to ask questions like, Lord, could you help us? Or Lord, could you explain this? Could you help us understand something? But if you're asking Jesus questions because you're trying to catch him, it doesn't end well. I mean, it just, it's a word of wisdom for you. Don't ask Jesus questions when you're trying to catch him because you will be caught. He will not be. So anyway, it's just a little note in the middle. So it goes on to verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his very own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So Jesus tells this story to teach a lesson to the expert in religious law, but he also taught it for those listening that day and for us as well. And I think the first thing we can learn from this, and we can kind of get a place where we understand that as we walk through life, we need to open our eyes. Now, I realize none of us generally walk through life with our eyes closed, right? We, we walk through life with our eyes open. The problem is sometimes we walk our, through life with our eyes open, but are not seeing what God wants us to see. And he wants us to see the needs around us. 
Okay, the, look, the priest and Levite, they walked right by. They, they walked by. The, the, the Samaritan, on the other hand, takes a second look. He looks and sees and he stops and he does something about it. Look, how many times do we see something and really want to act like we didn't see it? Okay, now we, we got all kinds of illustrations to this, right? We can think about, you know, kids when they need to clean. Right? They see stuff, but don't really, like, they don't want to act like they saw it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I've probably never told publicly. <laughs> I used to travel in Illinois. I traveled, and I ended up preaching in different churches. And I was sent by the district one time to a church that was in between pastors. And I was just there as a guest speaker. Everybody else was running all the service. They, the the, the, the lead, other leadership was in charge. But back in the day, the pastor sat on the platform. So I'm on the platform during worship, which I do all the time. This is my normal mode of worship, okay? Generally, my eyes are closed, my hands are in the air, and I'm just focusing on Jesus. I'm just, just wanting to just worship. Just close my eyes, just block everything else out. And that's what I'm doing that day. I'm just worshiping Jesus. I'm just singing and worshiping it. And it's a great time of worship. And I open my eyes. And when I do... I suddenly realize people are running laps in the sanctuary. Like during worship, it was kind of their liturgy. They just did this. They, they didn't have church until you ran a couple laps. I mean, it was just, it was just and, and I'm like, I just closed my eyes, went back to worshiping. I'm like, this is not my problem. Right? I wasn't in charge. I was just there to speak. I was just there. I was not my problem. I didn't want to know. I was like, I don't. So I go back to the district office on Monday morning, and I get in a conversation with someone. I said, hey, I went to so-and-so this week, and they started laughing. I'm like, wait a minute. You knew? They're like, yeah. Why didn't anybody tell me? I didn't know. I just, like, I mean, full-on sprint, man. It was like, whoo, whoo, whoo. I'm like, put some hurdles up or something. Come on. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, I, they just thought they need to run. I mean, I, they're probably more physical fit, but that's good. You just work out and worship at the same time. Maybe that's fine. I don't know. I was like, I'm not dealing with this. This is not my problem. Sometimes that's exactly what we do when we see needs. We see them and we say, this is not my problem. And I'm here to tell you today that if God puts you in a place to see the need, there's a good chance it's your problem. Look, Convoy knew what they were doing. See, they, they, they knew what they were doing. Convoy Hope knew what they were doing when they invited me and some other pastors to go to a trip to Haiti, right? I don't know, four or five years ago, they invited me to go on this trip to Haiti and it was three days, and they were going to take us around and tour orphanages and schools, and we're going to see the feeding program. And look, when you see it, you see it. And so it, it, it gets to the place where not only do you start to see the need, but now you've got to get to the place where you open your heart. And when you feel the need. And that's what happened to me on that trip, to, to the first trip to Haiti. I'd never been to Haiti. I'd been to Honduras. I'd been, you know, been to other places, but I'd never been to Haiti. And when I saw the need, I had to do something. It was at that moment where 
I was like, we, we've got to do this one day to feed the world then. I mean, this is just like we need to be a part of this. And, and so I did because you feel the need. And sometimes when, you've, when you feel the need, it, it causes you to risk. See, the Samaritan got involved. The, the Samaritan didn't just walk by. He didn't walk up, look, and go, oh, okay. He, he walked up, recognizes the problem, and does what he can. Now, I have to tell you something. Like, if we leave here and you end up with some kind of medical emergency, like, I don't know, you get beat up by robbers and you're bleeding and you're lying on the side of the road and there's stuff coming out of you, I'm going to see that need and then I'm going to pass out. (laughs) So don't hold that against me. All right? I, like, if I see you on the side of the road, blood coming out of you, I'll do my best. But I'm end up next to you. Okay? Like, I'm first aid and CPR certified, but if it ever comes down to it, and I'm your only hope, you better hope I called 911 first. <laughs> because I'm known at the sight of blood to be a little queasy. Just saying. I'm going to take the risk for you. Well, we might both end up in the same spot. But I think that when you see the need and you start to feel the need, it is going to take getting involved. When you start to feel the need, you're going to want to do something. You you need to get to the place where where you want to do something about what you're seeing, what you're feeling. You, You can't stay there. Look, here's another one, all right? Look, look, there's this principle in, in business and a lot of other things about change. There's a principle about change. And I think it applies here. Change doesn't happen until the pain of change is exceeded by the pain of remaining the same. Look, change happens when we realize we can't stay here anymore or how we are. Like pain has a, has a tendency to want to bring change in our lives, right? Okay? Kidney stones relatively painful. But here's the deal. I had had one for a number of years. And so before I drank exclusively water with lemon in it. Almost just rarely to have anything else. I didn't drink. I don't drink much soda anyway. But I love iced tea. Sweet tea to be a fact. Love sweet tea. Problem is, sweet tea causes kidney stones. There's something about the oxalate in the kidney. Yeah, I don't know. It's calcium oxalate, kidney stone. And it ends up causing kidney stones. I have them in my body already. So my excuse is, well, they're already in there. Probably I should drink more water. In fact, they want me to drink like a gallon of water a day. Like that's happening. Um, it won't happen until the pain change is greater than the pain of staying the same. Okay? Well, that's what happens when you see what's going on. When you finally are motivated to the place where you recognize, I cannot stay here. I cannot let these people stay here. I cannot keep this this way. I'm going to do something about it. That's what feeling the need means. Feeling the need means I'm going to do something about it. I'm not going to stay this way anymore. And I'm going to drink the gallon of water so they don't have those things. 
or I'm going to do something so that this child can have food for the rest of their lives while they're in school and so they get an education. So that was the deal. Like I went to Haiti and we went again this past year, this, this year, and, and to see that happen and to see the, the, the feeding process and all that was just incredible. And that's why we do what we do. So, okay, so if you, if you see the need and you feel the need, then you're going to want to meet the need. You're going to want to do something about it. You're going to open your hands. You're going to do something. And the question is, what are we doing? What are we doing to help those things? What are we doing to help, period? Not, not just in Haiti, but, but ministry and compassion will cost you something. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you energy, uh, relationship, different things. I mean, just all kinds of things going on. But, but that's what Jesus is wanting. Jesus is wanting us to do something about it. He's wanting us to get involved in the process. He's wanting us to touch the lives of the people that we can touch. Look at James 1.27, and I've got it in, in American Standard Version because of just the way the wording is. And it, it says it this way in a bunch of things. And this one leaves out something that I love. But anyway... Pure religion and undefiled before our God and Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. When you look at James 1.27, this verse shows up on all kinds of things. You, you talk about compassion, ministries, uh, um, foster care, all those things. It shows up for those because the orphan and widow, they're stressed and that whole thing. But it says in there to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And in this one thought, that one, that one thought to visit, that one idea of to visit is so powerful. It is used in, throughout the scriptures in this kind of a way. And I think it's important for us to, to look at it. Because the idea of to visit brings with it the idea of imparting life. Of bringing life happening in that moment. And here's another passage of scripture where that whole idea comes across. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17, it says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Okay, notice, compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. And so you see this, God has visited the people today. God has visited. He's come and he's imparted life. In this case, he imparted life. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, like, funeral procession, and Jesus comes, touches the coffin, and the guy gets up and, and like, and he says, go hang out with your mom. Like, that would be crazy. Right? And it, it doesn't mean it can't happen today. It just, it just means you know, when God visits, he's going to impart life. They knew God had visited because they had seen it happen. That whole idea of visit is also bringing this, this idea of rescuing and redeeming. 
That's what Convoy of Hope does. It, it brings hope to people. It brings life to people. Think about it. They're just bringing simple, everyday, basic need. Water, food, and shelter. I mean, think about that. That's what they do when they're overseas. They're doing those kinds of things. They're doing that, and they're imparting life. And so when they come into a village, when they come into an area, they bring life because they are really bringing food and water. But bringing food and water isn't enough. They actually do more than that. And Keith Adamson, he was, he was the, uh, some of the God national youth director for a number of years. He said, if we preach a gospel apart from radical acts of justice and compassion, we preach a gospel that Jesus never preached. So if all we do is preach the gospel and we don't do acts of justice and compassion, we preach a gospel Jesus never preached. And if we have radical acts of justice and compassion without the gospel, all we do is offer a better brand of misery. See, we've got to preach the gospel. And everything we do, we've got to preach the gospel. Look, and we've got to bring the power of God to bear in the situations where we go. Who can you be a better neighbor to and visit? Who can you visit and bring the presence and power of God to work in their lives? Every day, we ought to be praying this kind of a prayer. God, where do you want me to go and who do you want me to bless? God, where do you want me to go and who do you want me to bless? God, God, where do you want me to go and who do you want me to bless? That's a powerful thought. And, and it's a powerful thought and it goes along with some of the things we talked about just a couple weeks ago in the, our Thanksgiving series. Look, we understand that if we will do the things that God has called us to do, what he is telling us to do, he's going to do some really great things in our lives. So Isaiah 58, verses 10 and 11, it's similar to Deuteronomy that we talked about two weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 9, but Isaiah 58 says, And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think about Kansas in the Dust Bowl. Now, I wasn't alive then. Just, I mean, I know some of you might be confused by that, but I wasn't alive then. And so I don't know this firsthand, but, but I just picture from the things I've seen, the pictures I've seen, the, 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 the video I've seen of different things that, that existed and, and have shown different things over time. The things were just dirt and everything everywhere. Like there was no green. There was just, it was just weird. It was just a, a crazy time. But, but can you think about for just a moment, in a land like that, suddenly you run across this well-watered garden. This beautiful place of green and, and provision and life. And that's exactly what God wants you and I to be. As followers of Jesus, he wants us to be bringers of life in the midst of a sun-scorched land. He wants us to be people that his, if we will take care of, like he says here, if you will spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
That's what God wants for us. That we will pour ourselves out. That we will spend ourselves in the sun-scorched land. That we will bring water and food to people. And we'll pour ourselves out to them. But we will not run dry because God pours himself into us. So that we'll become well watered. God wants us to be like Jesus was in that moment where he was with that, that widow from Nain. That, that, that we will impart life to people as we encounter them. He's wanting you and I, the church, the followers of Jesus to impart life in people. And as we give out, God pours in. That's his promise to you and I. If we will pour ourselves out, we will give out, he will pour in. And I I don't think that that's completely a a financial thing. I just think he's going to continue to help us to do what he has called us to do. Through our intentional acts of compassion and relationships with those in need. People in places of pain and drought will become, by God's hand, and faithful provision, a well-watered garden. When you let God use you, he blesses you. He provides for you. He takes care of you. When, when you consider where we're going to, this little bridge between Thanksgiving and Christmas, when you start to realize the incarnate God, God himself comes to visit us in the form of Jesus. He comes here, makes his home here. The God-man, the Savior of the world, he comes and he shined light in the midst of darkness. See, it was, it was this hopeless moment, this whole season of, of time, this, these years where they hadn't heard, they, they hadn't heard from God. They, they, they were in this midst of this dark time, and they hadn't heard, and, and yet Jesus comes at that moment and brings light. That's exactly what he wants for you and I. In the midst of what we do, he wants us to bring light in the midst of darkness. The scriptures tell us that we... We're now the church. And as the church, we're the body of Christ. We are to be his hands and feet. And so we, as followers of Jesus, need to be those who visit the orphan and the widow, who live in darkness. We are to bring the light of Christ to little kids who live in poverty in inner cities and around the world, in rural communities developing nations we are to be rescuers look today is one way it's a little simple thought of of giving resources in order to do that but it's more than that we can't just give money i believe that as followers of jesus it is our responsibility to be involved in that process in our own community look if you're looking for a way to get involved and you'll have to just, I don't have the date in my head, but it's a Tuesday, I believe. But if you want to get involved in your small group or, or group of you want to get together and help serve Christmas dinner over at, um, at Highcrest, that's something that we're putting volunteers together for, um, to go over and serve dinner at Highcrest. Uh, Christmas dinner, it's a Tuesday night, I believe it's the 11th, it's just going off the top of my head, so don't hold me that. Check, but get with us. Just put something on a connection card. Call the office. Ask me. I will actually look it up for you to make sure I'm giving you. But but we're getting groups of people together to go over and serve dinner to bless our community because we want to be involved. We were asked to put some visitors together. I don't know how many people they're going to serve, but it's going to be pretty big. And so just 
if you want to be a part of it. I know some other small groups have already signed up and are going to do it. Look, visiting and doing and blessing those who are least and lost and lonely is important. It can also involve just taking a plate of cookies across the street because you're going to make a difference in someone's life. It's about bringing Jesus to people. It's about having an impact on people's lives. So when Jesus comes and pays the world a visit through his people, it's for two things. When we show compassion like Jesus, we're going to make life better for others. We're going to give them hope. We're going to do something tangible. We're going to enable them to eat. We're going to do those things. But we're also going to make the kingdom bigger. We're going to see people come to faith. We're going to be his witnesses and we're going to make disciples. We're going to be a part of that process. That's what Convoy of Hope is doing around the world. My prayer is that all of us will open our hearts wide to the Holy Spirit and let him enlarge our vision for reaching the lost across the street and around the world. That we will be good neighbors. Not just good neighbors mow your yard and you know make sure the flowers are pretty. But good neighbor who's going to bring light to darkness. Who's going to bring hope to the hopeless. God wants you to pray for missions. He wants you to give to missions. And he wants you to go for missions. Look, if you want to go, if you want to go to Haiti, we're going again in October. Um, there's a trip again in October. And if you would like to go, I think there's info out on the information center. And you can pick that up. Or you can, again, just contact us in the office. When I traveled... In Illinois, and trained students for campus ministry, we had a saying, you're either a missionary or a mission field. If you have Christ in your life, you're a missionary. If you don't, you're a mission field. Straightforward, pretty simple. We need to live life like missionaries. We need to get God's heart for the poor and suffering and the lost in the world. We need to leverage what we've been given for God's kingdom. Our influence, our gifts, our ideas, our resources need to be used for God's kingdom. Let God speak to you about reaching the lost and hurting people right here in our world. Also around the world, but right here in our world. Again, don't be like the guy who has kidney stones and is in severe pain but keeps drinking tea. Do something. Do something about it. Do something about the pain you see around you. Do something about the lostness of the people around you. Do something. Do something for those who cannot repay you. In Luke 14, Jesus gave these instructions. 
Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. That will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Look, as we give today for one day, they're not going to repay us. We're not going to get anything in return. In fact, we're giving today, not expecting anything in return. At least I am. Look, I think, I'm not expecting anything in return, but I'm just confident enough in God that He blesses. Okay, I, I just know. Like when we start to take care of His stuff, whatever that looks like, whatever He's calling us to do, He will bless us. He just does. It's the promises of Scripture. Now, it's not always, you know, major financial windfall. I mean, just, but he's going to meet our needs. He's going to bless us. And that's the confidence I have. So this morning, look, we're going to give. We're going to give an offering for one day. And, and I trust that you, again, have planned, prepared. Do not give anything that you don't sense God leading you to give. I don't want any of that to be pressured for you okay no pressure do what you can do ask God what he wants you to do and that's all I'm asking I will pressure you about making a difference in the lives of the people around you it may cost you something but I want you to get to the place where you will see the needs you will feel the needs and you will meet those needs because that's what God has asked us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the privilege we have. Lord, thank you that I am in a position where you're, you've blessed us and we're able to do this whole thing with one day. And God, it's such a privilege to be able to do that. And Lord, to have seen what you're doing around the world through Convoy. God, I pray you would take what's given today. God, that you'd accomplish your work, that you'd multiply it. Lord, that you would just do incredible things through the work of Convoy as a part of our local churches around the world. Lord, I pray this morning as we come to the conclusion of this service, God, I pray if there's anybody in this room, God, one, needs to know you, that they would surrender their life to you. But number two, God, I pray that anybody in this room who needs you to do something in their life, Lord, whether it's healing, encouragement, strength, or whatever it is, Lord, I'm asking that in this last song or the prayer time at the altar, God, that you would do something miraculous in people today. For as we sung earlier, you are the God of miracles. You are the God who does the miraculous you're the God who does the supernatural because that's who you are and Lord I pray in these closing moments and Lord you'd have your way in our lives Lord you'd speak to us Lord you would touch us and Lord you would be glorified and honored in us in Jesus name